Telus International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation. Welcome to Telus International Studios, the podcast series about world-class customer experience and digital technologies and how the two increasingly intersect. I'm Patrick Hawhey. Throughout this series, I have been meeting the people on the front lines of CX and technology. And if you have been listening, if you've been enjoying them, please do click follow or subscribe and leave a rating or review so that other people just like you can discover the series. And if you haven't been listening, if this is your first time, please do make sure to go out to go back um, in the back catalogue and listen to some of those great interviews we've done. Hopefully you enjoy them. Now, anybody in North America does not need any introduction to the Home Depot. Would you believe 90% of the US population lives within 10 miles of a Home Depot store? It turns over around 100 billion annually in revenue and over 400,000 associates work for the company. All that means that today's guest, Mike Jones, Senior Director of Customer Care at the Home Depot, has an awful lot of customers to care about. He tells me about his approach to CX and how the Home Depot has grown so successfully since its founding in the late 1970s by really listening to its customers. But Mike's priority is not just those customers that buy the company's products and services, but also what he calls his internal customers, those 400,000 associates that work in the Home Depot every day. And indeed, the company has a unique management philosophy based on what he calls an inverted pyramid, uh, which he tells me all about. Mike also describes how he has kept up with the pace that the company has seen in the last 18 months or so. Huge explosion of growth there, particularly throughout COVID. Uh, he talks also talks about creating a set of company values that will last for decades. The advice he would give to other CX leads navigating busy periods like he is going through himself, using data to do better business, and lots, lots more. That is all coming up with my interview with Mike Jones right now. I hope you really enjoy it. So the Home Depot was founded uh, in a perfect time in the late 70s, over 40 years ago, um, is really a way to be able to solve customers' uh, problems when they needed uh, to go uh, and fix something in their house. In that time, the do-it-yourself market really didn't exist. Uh, and you would pay a contractor, uh, and that contractor, would, generally speaking, would charge you for their labor and then charge, charge their customer uh, significant increased rates on products. And our founders, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank, thought they could do it better by having a direct-to-consumer model. Uh, and then, really, the differentiator at that point was staffing our stores with experts, expert contractors, people who knew the trades, people who could teach and help our customers solve their problems, whether it be as simple as replacing a faucet um, or is uh, as complex as installing an entirely new kitchen. Uh, and so that was that was our roots uh, over 40 years ago. And we've since obviously expanded our business uh, to the pro side, to the maintenance, repair uh, and operations uh, on the professional business side, the B2B consumer, the B2C consumer and a whole host of other opportunities uh, as that as that um, that's grown in the U.S. Well, well, give us a size, uh, give us a sense of the footprint, I guess. Is there is there Home Depots all over North America? Yeah, the easiest way to think about it is our, our focus footprint uh, is primarily in the U.S. and in Canada and in Mexico. Um, within the U.S., about 90 percent of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles 
of a Home Depot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we have, we have leaned heavily into that footprint um, as the consumer demands have shifted and changed and expectations uh, around being able to fulfill their orders very, very quickly, very rapidly um, has, has changed certainly over the last year, but even over the last 10 years. And so we've been a, we've had a unique position in terms of real estate to be able to uh, take care of our customers, be it on the pro side uh, or on the DIY side. Um, on an annual revenue basis, we're north of $100 billion uh, U.S. dollars in revenue, and we employ over 400,000 orange-blooded associates. Oh my goodness, that is just incredible. So um, so basically, you as Senior Director of Customer Care um, have a lot of customers to care about. Uh, certainly we do. Um, and I, I view that role as twofold. One, our internal customers. We operate under a, a management construct and a management philosophy of the of an inverted pyramid. And if you can visually picture an inverted pyramid with various levels, but the top of that pyramid is our customers and right, right, uh, right with them is our frontline associates. And then all of the lower levels of the pyramid are are the kind of the management structure uh, all the way down to the bottom of the pyramid, which is our our chief executive officer. Um, and that's very, very important to always keep in mind, because ultimately we believe that if we serve and keep our focus on serving our customers and our frontline associates who are serving those customers, then that's the right recipe for success. So the internal customers is a big part of my role, as well as the external customers that have a need uh, and have support um, and have desire um, to be able to shop with us. And what what difference does that make? You know, I think that inverted uh, pyramid is is maybe not unique to the Home Depot, but it's it's certainly something that uh, we don't understand as a normal corporate structure um, uh, it, that most of us might might see it as. So what difference does it make on the ground in a very practical way, in a daily way to life um, and work in 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 the Home Depot? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Patrick. And I'll, I'll highlight a couple of very real world examples. Um, first, it puts us in a position in leadership, a position of humility and a position of grace. And, and what I mean by that is in any organization, if you drive a, a, a construct where every good idea emerges from the top and is driven down through the organization and more of a typical corporate hierarchy approach, um, you're not ever going to get the best ideas because those ideas will originate from those furthest from the customer. We believe that that the best ideas emerge from those closest to the customer. And by living that sort of value construct um, and that sort of leadership construct where you empower the frontline folks who are belly to belly with the customers in the aisles or in our centers serving our online business, um, that you're going to get a much better solution. And it's also going to be much faster um, when you have a problem to be resolved. If it has to go up and down through a very hierarchical rigid chain, um, you're not going to be successful. And when you think back of the uh, landscape over the last 40 years of all the retailers that are no longer in business, you could pretty much draw a straight line to leadership philosophies and how they've not been able to evolve and change rapidly with the times to ultimately their demise. 
Well, that's it's very, very interesting. And I think you, you've mentioned a number of times um, in this interview already, uh, fast solving customers' problems, not just solving them, but solving them quickly. So am I, am, I, am I right that this is a core part of your philosophy when it comes to how you apply and carry out your role? Uh, yes, you are. You, you, um, you've heard already about our management construct. We have another very simple visual um, that is our eight values, and we actually have a, a values wheel. Um, but it, uh, they're, they're a list of our core values, values that our founders gave us years ago, and it is honestly their greatest gift. Um, and values like taking care of our people, doing the right thing, respect for all people. Uh, it makes decision-making um, much faster when you have that sort of a value set. And one example, very early on in the pandemic, um, over a year ago now, uh, our chairman and chief executive officer, Craig Manier, had a very profound and very simple statement. And he said, every decision we make from this point forward, and this was in early March, I think we all know what was happening in, in, in late February, early March around the globe. But he said, every decision we make will, from this point forward will be with the safety of our associates in mind and the safety of our customers in mind. We will run this business not for the short term, but for the long term benefit of our customers and our associates. And, and talk about something that made all of our jobs and leadership much easier as we had to wrestle with challenges of moving people out of our offices and getting them home. And the expense associated with that, we moved over over 5,000 people from a from an office environment to a home environment uh, in a very, very rapid amount of time. Uh, and there's certainly an expense impact to that, but I was never once asked about it. We just did it and we did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, and that sort of values led operation, it certainly makes speed um, a priority, but it also it also makes living our values much, much easier and makes all decisions that flow from that much easier to make and execute in rapid fashion. Well, speaking about the execution of, of that, um, what are some of the things that you have introduced into the stores or introduced into the customer journey to speed it up? A couple of interesting examples I came across. Yeah, I mean, the, the very first one is if you think about customers' expectations of fulfillment uh, over the last 14 months and how that has changed. You know, people had already expected, you can call it the Amazon effect, but people had already expected to be able to, to click and, uh, and get whatever their needs were fulfilled in very rapid fashion. We had to pivot, though, um, to an in-store environment where we intentionally restricted traffic. We intentionally, I remember, uh, again, spring, we normally, spring's a very, very busy season for us. Um, and we reduced marketing dollars. We reduced marketing events. We did not want to drive people into the store, but we still had a need out there because people were home. And in the springtime, certainly in the U.S., people wanted to plant. They wanted to do gardening work. They wanted to do interior projects because now they're at home. And so we had to figure out a way to safely and rapidly fulfill those expectations. And we introduced curbside pickup at our stores. That really wasn't even on the drawing board for us to be able to have a customer place an order via their app and go to the store quickly and have it delivered to their car. And within a couple of weeks, we were able to take that from a, a proof of concept stage and a couple of stores uh, to the entire chain. Uh, and that's just one example of how we rapidly change the operations of our stores 
to still live with those values that I spoke about earlier, about safety and, and keeping our associates and our customers in the forefront. But also there's a, there's a real need there. Um, you think about the customer who has a water heater go out uh, and needs, you know, needs a water heater element because now they're home and now they're using their water heater much more or they're using their refrigerator or their appliance much more because they're having all of their food. It's being delivered as well. So we certainly saw opportunities to be able to meet the customer's need um, with a high degree of satisfaction. You will also, I'm, I, <clears throat> I'm guessing, stock an awful lot of different products that come from different manufacturers. They have different types of packaging. They're made up in certain ways. And do you ever um, have to have conversations with them on behalf of your customers in order to enhance the customer experience that you will get feedback about certain the way certain things are put together or packaged or whatever that then gives you an insight into how to make it better for them, which you then need to pass on to a third party or a trading partner? Yeah, I think one of the the biggest value adds um, that any anyone in the contact center space, uh, in the customer experience space, um, has to has to add has to add in terms of value is taking the data that you have from any one individual customer experience and extrapolating that out across the entirety of the customer experience to really weigh and decide where the big pain points are. And um, that is what we do every single day through a whole host of analytic suites. Uh, and this could be something as simple as, hey, we're introducing a new patio set uh, that is globally sourced. But very early on, we find out that there may be um, a problem with a joint uh, in connecting it. Um, and how do we feed that back in, that information back into the designers and the manufacturers so that we ultimately stop that call from coming in by fixing the problem on the front end? Um, that is that is that is a daily, daily responsibility um, across across all of our contact center spaces. And we we try to use a very data rich environment to target those opportunities to ultimately improve the customer experience much more globally than just the one-off. Obviously, every day you're going to solve a one-off problem, but how many of those one-offs when they're added together in aggregate represent a much bigger opportunity? Well, that's that that data analytics, um, I'm, I assume, has become a very big part of your job and in a relatively short space of time, maybe, because I think the leaps in technology that we've seen in very recent years in the customer experience industry have just been mind blowing. Yeah, it, it's been amazing to um, to be a part of that, because now you have technology that can measure inflection. It can measure yes. um, friction uh, in in people's voices. It can measure crosstalk um, between a, a frontline associate and a customer. It can measure pauses, uh, and and so you're able to look at that and really the word we often use is sentiment. Now historically, people will complete surveys, um, and you know there's a whole host of of, of um, biases that come along with surveys and take rates and non-response biases. But you can take all of those out when you're look when you're listening to every single call, and you've got a proper software that's able to look and say, hey, where is the um, highest sentiment factor? What are we doing a really good job in and rewarding and recognizing those partners and those associates? But then also, where do we have pain points? Where do we see the lowest sentiment scores based on the data? And then how do we ultimately go out and fix that? Is it a product design element? Is it a supply chain element? Is it a manufacturing element? Is it just 
hey, we've got we've got some associates that need to be trained and coached on how better to interact with a frustrated customer. It opens up an entire doorway that uh, in past years we simply did not have. And the timing couldn't have been better given the volumes uh, and the volume increase that we've seen uh, in our stores, which of course flow to our stores, but also flow into our contact centers as our online business has just exploded over the last 18 months. So basically, um, you've things have improved in such a big way in recent years around what you've just said. But what it also means is your job has grown and grown and grown. <laughs> and um, how do you keep up with that? How do you personally actually cope with the the, uh, the increase? And I guess uh, tangentially, do you have to grow your team um, to the to keep up as well? Yeah, I think it's very, very important to early on establish what is your strategy uh, and what do you stand for? Um, because it's very easy to get distracted. Uh, our former chairman, Frank Blake, uh, had a great quote, and I'll, I will probably butcher it a little bit. But he said, you know, the, the reward you get for solving any problem is you get to solve a bigger problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it's absolutely true uh, in, in my role and in the roles of so many on my leadership team uh, over the last 18 months uh, and over the last couple of years, really, uh, in solving bigger and bigger problems. And I think it's, it's, it's extremely important uh, at, at, the, at the outset to establish what any organization stands for, how you define value, how do you define what you're going to deliver, how do you define the business benefit? It gives you a lens in which to make decisions um, that ultimately will get you to the right place without being distracted and going down too many wormholes. Well, listen, let's let's jump to the last year or so. And one thing I'm kind of curious about, and certainly it's something that um, personally I've experienced, is that a visit to a store like the Home Depot um stopped becoming a necessity when something broke and you had to fix it or whatever. It almost became uh, like a, a pleasurable leisure experience because, you know, there's very few other places we could go. And um, suddenly we had more appreciation for our homes and wanted to make them beautiful. And a trip to a store like the Home Depot became a very different experience. Was that just me or is that something that you saw in your own stores? I think you may have shared that with certainly hundreds of millions of people around the U.S. and most likely around the globe. Um, it, it was, you know, it's fascinating. We have become experts at dealing with natural disasters. And if you think about all of the, the hurricanes um, or tornadoes or floods, but certainly hurricanes, I think, is relevant because we have established a pattern of purchasing behavior that happens pre-storm. Right. So you're thinking about generators um, and you're thinking about water uh, and then post storm activity. It's chainsaws, it's blowers, it's trash bags. Uh, and then it goes out where there may be significant water damage. And so the purchasing behavior is drywall and kitchens and then ultimately flooring. And so we become really a, a high a, to a high degree. We can target exactly where sales are going to spike and when they're going to spike pre storm and post-storm. We didn't have any of that uh, for what does a pandemic look like. Um, and, and certainly we all know the, the history of uh, toilet paper um, and paper towels uh, and, and what took place uh, you know, with people's demand for that, which I'm still trying to get my head around why. Uh, but, but we saw the single largest growth in categories that are somewhat intuitive looking back on it. It's 
hey, I'm, I'm in the house and I want to do a painting project. And myself and my significant other uh, are at the house now and we want to go ahead and paint a room. So interior paint, um, gardening uh, and all of the hard work that took place in the spring. Um, but even as you got into summer months, uh, things that we sold traditionally through an online channel, um, whether it be outdoor play sets or pools or activities um, to be able to uh, entertain folks in a, in a quarantine type environment, the, those with children. Um, you know, I think we've never seen the kind of growth uh, in, in those product lines. Appliances, right? So just appliances overall, we've seen great success with. But uh, I remember last April and May, as uh, concerns grew about uh, the supply chain for, um, for meat products and proteins, um, the rate of sales for freezers um, and big box freezers to be able to hold uh, supplies. So it's, it's, been, it's been fascinating to watch consumer behavior shift and consumer thought shift. Uh, and we've become very, you know, kind of early, early and often observers of what those changes mean. Um, and then obviously being thoughtful, how long lasting they are, how short lived they are, and how do we make sure that we can still meet the consumer demand. And if you had to ramp up your teams, ramp up the amount of the agents in your contact centers in order to cope with the demand? Uh, significant, significant ramp up. Um, I would say you know, we have a portion of our business that uh, is through third parties. And we generally have a, a third party strategy that supports staffing ramps going into and out of season. We still believe that the majority of our of our customer experience and our customer service associates should be internal, but we offset ramp ups and ramp downs with using third parties. But it was globally and across the board throughout all of our partners and internally. And while at the same time, obviously, uh, there's disruption because all those folks in centers are also trying to move home uh, and yeah. being able to do that in a very effective business continuity um, manner. Um, it presented its own challenges that we were able to uh, we were able to certainly get through. But as I look back on it, it's absolutely one of the most proud things that, that I have for the team. Um, and in the last year is how we were able to keep the associate experience, our values, the safety of our people, the comfort of our people, because everyone had different levels of anxiety. Uh, and so we both had to had to ramp up and then also have deal with significant capacity constraints because as we were ramping up due to volume. We also um, had challenges moving people out and home at the same time. So all of that was taking place in about the same 60 to 75 day period last spring. The perfect storm. <laughs> in, in, indeed, indeed. Uh, Winston Churchill had a great quote, when you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, yeah. I think that was, that, was, that, was the, uh, that was the focus point for all of us working through those times. But uh, certainly well, I, I, it, it, very rewarding. Well, you you know you've you've as you say you ran up some against some hurdles in the last twelve months, but you've also learned some interesting things. So, for for would you would you would you share any advice? Um, any of the things that if I was to ask you for the the one or two things that you have come out of this period, well, we, we, as we emerge out of this period, that you would say, do you know what? That's one thing I really learned, and um, that's one thing that's going to stick with me for maybe for the next twenty five years in Home Depot. Patrick, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing. I'll probably, I'll try to do uh, two. One is a word that I use uh, daily and often, uh, and that's empathy. So empathy for your people, 
empathy for your workforce, empathy for your customers, um, and making sure that that is always at the forefront. Because everyone, you know, the phrase that we all heard is we're all in this together, but we're really not because everyone has in their own unique experiences and situations that they're living through. And so whether that is the single mom at home with four kids who are now at home with uh, with her or the single father who's now got four kids at home with him um, and trying to still do their job while also taking care of a parent who is, is at high risk of contracting COVID-19 um, and being able to lead with that sort of empathy to make sure that we're doing the right thing by them. So I think it's it's always been a, a hallmark of me personally and, and the Home Depot at large, but the need to lead the need to lead with empathy um, has certainly um, been driven home throughout the experience. So making that a hallmark of any leadership style uh, and approach has been critical. The other thing, uh, the other word that resonates with me is is humility. You are the anyone in leadership is generally the dumbest person in their organization because they're the furthest from the customer, uh, and you have to have a degree of humility. Um, that allows you to be comfortable saying, I'm the dumbest person because I'm the furthest from the customer. So having a culture that goes back to that inverted pyramid of putting our associates who were belly to belly with the customer first and foremost in mind. And I'll give you one example. In the early days, we had to immediately move everyone out of our centers. There's no playbook for that. And I remember I was on a, on a, we had daily, twice daily conference calls with all of the leaders of all of the sites as we were working through all of the different challenges of moving people home. And um, someone called out one of the team in, in one of our sites that said, hey, this was the first site to move home. When we pulled up, you know, everything was ready to go. And they had all of the, all of the computers and work from home equipment in these plastic storage bins. And they were laid out on six foot banquet tables that were out in the street so that you can picture an associate driving up in their car and, you know, distancing and mask. And we take the whole kit out, we put it in. And someone asked me, I said, Mike, can you send us the playbook for that? Can you send us the, the how-to guide? And I remember saying, I have no idea. That was a couple of the supervisors, a couple of supervisors in one of our centers that just did all of that. They grabbed our American Express purchasing card. They went across the street to the Home Depot and they bought out all the containers to be able to put the equipment in and then took all of the banquet tables out of the cafeteria and put it all outside. There's no playbook for that. And, and if the team had waited on anyone in leadership to put all that into a manual, they'd still be waiting for it. Um, and so because we have that, that degree of empowerment and we lead with a degree of humility, um, you, you've got people in being, feeling empowered to make those decisions. And ultimately, it, it, it all worked out. Yeah, but it sounds like it. It's such um, such an interesting time. And I guess what, one of my final questions then, Mike, um, the Home Depot was set up 40 years ago um, with a set of principles and values that remain to this day. And I think we often see, you know, large companies who go through several iterations of a value set um, different mission statements and they spend, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of uh, dollars or euro in order or in order to create a new set um, that represents the time that it is. But, you know, 40 years with the same set of values, what's the what's the lesson there? Is that like to if you're going to start anything with the set of values um, make them true to, to who you really are and also make them simple? I don't know. What do you think? 
Um, I think you're right when it comes to simple. It's interesting that you talked about the time and one of our one of our statements within our values is that values do not change over time. Uh, it is a hallmark. Um, and if you if you have a value set that you feel needs to evolve, then I would say you probably don't have the right value set um, because things like taking care of our communities, things like taking care of our customers, things like doing the right thing, um, they transcend time. Uh, and when they're that clear and they're that simple uh, and they never waver, um, it makes the collective jobs of the enterprise and of every leader in the enterprise so easy to execute because I'm not constantly having to go, hey, let me go ask my boss um, if it's if it's aligned with our values and it's morally and legally right, then just go do it. Um, and, uh, and, and you're going to do the right thing almost every single time. Well, it's been lovely speaking with you. Mike Jones, Senior Director of Customer Care at The Home Depot. Thank you very much for joining us here on TELUS International Studios. Thank you, Patrick. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Well, that is it for this episode of TELUS International Studios. Thanks to my guest, Mike Jones. Thanks to you for listening to this episode. And we will be back very soon with another great interview. And I hope you can join us then. Take care.